Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, Why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to findinggeniusfoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Ben Azadi. He's the founder of Keto Camp, Camp with a K. So we're going to talk about uh, his work there, intermittent fasting, ketogenic diets, etc. So Ben, thanks for coming. Richard, so excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, one thing I noticed is you have a pretty uh, ambitious mission. Can you uh, state it for listeners? Yeah, our mission here at Keto Camp is to educate and to inspire 1 billion people. Yeah, that's a lot of people. It is. How did you first uh, learn about you know ketogenic diets and intermittent fasting? Like, what's your background? Well, I went through my own weight loss health transformation back in 2008, where I lost 80 pounds and I went from 250 pounds down to 170, and that's what got me into the health space. I went through my own transformation, and then from then I became a personal trainer, I owned a CrossFit gym. Then I got certified as a health coach. So I lost the weight, but I wasn't necessarily healthy. I was one of those fit, sick people. So it wasn't until 2013 where I felt like I, I, I just didn't feel that great. You know, I was lean. I had six pack abs, but I didn't feel that great. I had some digestive issues. So I, and I was actually a vegan at that time for a year and a half. And then I came across some of the research on ketosis and intermittent fasting. And it really intrigued me. It really made a lot of sense to me. So I decided to actually transition from a plant-based vegan approach to a ketogenic approach with intermittent fasting. And it really just changed my health for the first time. I felt really, really well. My brain turned on. My performance was better at the gym. My sleep was better. 
And it really helped me understand cellular health. And then I started to just dive into the research and put thousands of people through a protocol of keto and fasting ever since. And uh, I've seen a lot of things along the ways. I've made some mistakes and uh, corrected those mistakes. And uh, my mission here is just to get people the, the research and so they can apply it, but apply it in a way that makes sense. And then they could benefit from this research and then share it with their community. So what have you seen or some of the challenges people have in, in uh, you know, doing a ketogenic diet? A lot of people come to it with the wrong mindset. They come to it wanting to lose weight, which is a good goal. I mean, it's all right to have that as a goal, but the body doesn't work that way. We don't lose weight to get healthy. We get healthy to lose weight. So just reframing your goals to health and reducing inflammation, then the weight will come off as a side effect. So that's the first thing. And, and also technically keto is not a diet. It's a metabolic process and it's been around since humans have existed. Every single one of our ancestors went into ketosis. They did keto because their environment forced them to do so. However, they didn't stay in ketosis long-term. So I teach a principle called keto flexing. I have a brand new book coming about, coming out all about that. So I love to use keto as a tool to reset the hormones, teach the body to burn fat instead of sugar, which has numerous benefits because when the body is stuck as a sugar burner, we have 70 trillion cells in the body, but there's only two options for fuel, sugar, or fat. When the body's only burning sugar and glucose, uh, interchangeable here, it is similar to, I compare that to a truck that's speeding through the highway with all the smoke being blasted out of the exhaust pipe. That truck, not healthy for the surrounding environment. When your cells are stuck as sugar burners, it creates a lot of byproducts, not healthy for your cellular environment. But when you could teach the body and the cells to transition and burn fat and produce ketones, that's like a Tesla cruising through the streets, much cleaner source of energy, much better for yourselves. So understanding that and then using it as a tool to flex in and out of ketosis is a great way to achieve long-term results because it makes it very sustainable. Well, for someone on a a standard American diet, I know they're getting plenty of sugar, carbs, et cetera. I would guess they're also getting fat. So do you think their bodies are not using the fat at all or storing it all? Or they're using just little bits of it? And, you know, a ketogenic lifestyle, you use predominantly fat. Correct. But the difference is on keto, you're taking out the carbs. So the body will prioritize glucose when it has glucose or fat. The reason is because glucose is a toxic fuel source. So the body wants to get rid of that first. So you're right, Richard, the standard American diet, the stupid American diet really is high fat. Well, actually it's high carbs, also high fat, processed fats and some protein. And they're getting plenty of fat, but the problem is their glucose is high and the body is prioritizing that because that's a toxic fuel source. So keto it's technically not about eating a whole bunch of fat. It's really about bringing your carbs low enough so your body could tap into its own fat stores. And that's what it's really about. So um, what are some of the sticking points people have when they try you know, the ketogenic diets and they try to adapt to this new lifestyle? The first is they go at it too fast, too soon. A lot of people have that cold turkey mentality, and I'm kind of like that myself. But if you are eating a standard American diet and the, and the average American is eating around 300 grams of carbs per day, and you just decide to go and do keto tomorrow, that's going to look ugly. You know, when you drop your carbs from 300 grams a day to below 50 a day, that'll have a, an effect that you wouldn't just run a marathon without training. So the mistake I see is people just go right into it. I recommend not doing that. I recommend actually gradually decreasing the carbs while you increase your protein and fat, and then just stick with three meals a day. 
And then eventually, as you drop your carbs below 50 grams, you'll be in ketosis and you could bypass things like the keto flu, brain fog, some symptoms that people might experience in the beginning. Also, electrolytes are very important, especially in the beginning, because when you start, when you're eating a lot of carbs, you're retaining water, you're producing more insulin that retains water. So you feel bloated, you look bloated, and you just don't feel good. But when you go into keto and you start lowering your carbs, all of a sudden you have less insulin. So the body and the kidneys specifically release a lot of excess water weight, which is terrific because you will look lighter and feel lighter and feel less bloated, but the kidneys also will have a, a, what I call an electrolyte dumping. It'll lose a lot of the electrolytes. So it's important to be really diligent, especially those four, first 14 days with replenishing your minerals and your electrolytes, getting in quality sea salt, maybe taking a mineral supplement that can make a big difference. And then I'll just add one more there. A lot of people who do keto, they technically get into ketosis, but they're not healing their body and they're actually hurting, harming their body worse than sugar because they actually consume bad inflammatory fats. Not all fats are created equal. You could go on a ketogenic approach and actually hurt your body worse than eating sugar because these bad fats like the vegetable oils, industrial seed oils, they create a lot of inflammation in your body worse than sugar. I've read some research that it could create uh, inflammation around the cell membrane for six to 12 months. So I recommend eating clean fats like avocado oils, olive oil, grass-fed butter, grass-fed beef, clean meats. This is going to be much healing to the body. So you'll get into ketosis and at the same time, reduce inflammation. Yeah. When I uh, was on a ketogenic diet for about a year, I, when I first tried it, I was like ravenously hungry. I was eating what I thought was like tons of you know, protein and fat, and I would still be like starving. You know, twenty minutes. Later. Yeah. So it took a while to get used to. It was like, oh my god, how much can I eat? It's crazy. <laughs> I've seen that before. So, so you're saying, uh, you know, reduce carbs, but reduce them slowly, and then you won't have a lot of these side effects and problems with ketosis, right? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to twenty-seven hundred plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Correct. And at the same time, you increase your fat. Uh, protein could really help, especially like for what you just shared, Richard. E eating plenty of protein. Okay. Protein is unique because it activates satiety hormones, so cholecystokinine, leptin, peptide YY helps you feel full. So increasing the protein can make a big difference with the feeling of uh, being hungry. But once you transition and you get fat adapted, your body now has this metabolic flexibility to then tap into your fat stores for fuel. So you're technically getting energy from your fat stores and you don't feel hungry. And then that's actually when I start pairing something like intermittent fasting, which go hand in hand with keto. Uh, I love fasting, but I don't recommend it right off the bat. I recommend first doing keto for about 14 days and then pairing fasting secondly. I also noticed when I did keto, sometimes the meals, like, I guess they would have too much fat in them. And I was like, oh, it was hard to process it. Do you, do you recommend people take like ox bile or other digestive enzymes to help them through the initial stages or as needed? 
I do. I do. I, I like bitters. Bitters are good for the liver because the problem is this. A lot of people, they start to increase their fats, but then they lack the proper bile production to break down the fats and the liver produces bile. Bile is very important. Its job has many jobs. One of the jobs is to actually act like a detergent to break down fat soluble vitamins that you're eating on keto. It also has a detoxification effect, but a lot of people, they've beat up their liver over their lives with uh, alcohol medication, processed carbohydrates. So now they produce sluggish bile. So the solution is, yeah, you could take an ox bile supplement. I like that. You could also take, uh, just eat more bitters. Bitter will support the liver. So arugula would be great. Dandelion greens, dandelion tea, ginger, ginger tea, apple cider vinegar, lemons and limes. Uh, even uh, organic coffee has a good uh, effect for the liver. So bile is going to be important. And uh, I do think it's a good idea as a backup plan to just take a couple of uh, digestive enzymes with ox bile before the keto meals. Where do you see people get stuck in addition? You know, you said they'll go too hard, too fast. When do they tend to fall out of you know, the ketogenic diet? Uh, when do they tend to have problems and why? They, usually the people who give up early are the people who are focusing on the number on the scale. So I recommend don't focus on weight loss. I said it earlier, focus instead on cellular health and reducing inflammation and the weight will come off as a side effect. So the people who focus on the scale, they're looking at their scale. I'm only down two pounds. I'm stuck on these same weight. You're just going to lead. It's going to lead you to frustration. So focus on non-scale victories, maybe get a baseline of lab work done. Look at inflammatory markers, like at your thyroid health. And then in about 60 days, get the same lab work done. That's a great thing to look at. But also, how do your clothes fit? How are your energy levels? Is your skin better? Is your sleep better? I recommend taking some measurements, getting some body fat done. I recommend giving it a good seven weeks of good effort. And then you can step on the scale again. And you'll be so surprised in a good way at the number on the scale. Because here's the reason why you shouldn't look at the number on the scale because the number on the scale fluctuates for so many reasons. If you had a poor night of sleep, guess what? It'll show on the scale. If you're sore from a workout, guess what? It'll show on the scale. If you're a woman who has a monthly cycle, guess what? It'll show on the scale. So that'll lead people to just be frustrated. So that's number one. Number two is they don't have a, a, a community. A community is so important. We become our environment. So they have people in their lives telling them, hey, you're gonna have a heart attack from keto. You're going to starve yourself from fasting and they have all these naysayers and haters and then it just breaks them. So it's important to have a community. It could be online or it could be in person, but have people who support this new healthy lifestyle. So those are the two things I see uh, really uh, steer people off track. Do you think people should uh, become and stay keto adapted forever or should they cycle off the, the way of eating and do other things instead? I recommend we don't stay in ketosis for too long. I see four problems with that that I outline in my book. So what I teach is 60 days, six zero days of being in ketosis. And then we practice what I call keto flexing, which we intentionally get out of ketosis. So that's going to be beneficial in many ways. And number one, it could actually help with fat loss because it reminds the body that it's not starving when you have a, a day where you flex out of ketosis. It's also sustainable. You could enjoy yourself. You could go to your events. You could go to your parties. Uh, it also supports the thyroid because when you have a higher carb day, a healthy carb day, what I call a keto flex day, you do get some insulin spikes, but that could be supportive for the thyroid. We need insulin to, to convert T4 inactive thyroid to T3. So that could help with that. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's beneficial to flex in and out. I don't recommend long-term strict ketosis that could actually lead to problems. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Oh, you just said you need insulin to convert T4 to T3? Correct. It's part of that conversion. Huh. Well, it's interesting to me because I, um, you know, 
lost my thyroid to thyroid cancer. So I take Synthroid T4 and they tell you to take it on an empty stomach, but your insulin would be low at that point. So it's interesting. I wonder if you uh, take it at a point where your insulin is higher, if it would uh, be too much for you or, you know, what it would do. It just, the thought just crossed my mind. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, insulin, the liver, the kidneys have a, a process in that do help that conversion, right? And it's important to make sure it is converting because T4 is inactive. The body can't really use it, but T3, it needs to get activated to T3 where the cells could then use it. Every cell has a receptor site for T3 and the thyroid hormone is very important. So yes, uh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that question. I would say hypothetically, having insulin around when you take T4 should help that conversion, but I'm just guessing. Yeah, I don't think anyone's really looked into it. It just, the fact jumped out at me when you said that. That's why I had to ask. So. Yeah, it's a great question. Okay. So you said you'll bring in intermittent fasting, uh, I guess after about 14 days of, 14 days of what? Of, of not just going gently into keto, but adapted and being full keto, then you'd talk about intermittent fasting? Yeah, exactly. So, and I do, I do recommend checking glucose and ketones just to verify that you are in ketosis. Uh, and if you hit, you know, there's three ways to test ketones. There, there is breath, blood, and urine, because each different way to test looks at the, the, the three different types of ketones. There's three different types that we know. There's acetone, which is in the breath. There's acetoacetate in the urine. And then there's beta-hydroxybutyrate in the blood. Now, out of these three methods, urine is not a good way to test. That's looking at acetoacetate. And the reason it's not a good way to test is because once the body and the brain is efficient at metabolizing ketones and using them, which is what we want, then it won't, the, the ketones, the acetoacetate will not spill out in the urine. And you take those urine strips and you're wondering why you're not in ketosis, but you might very well be. So I don't like urine, but breath could be accurate if you use a good meter. I like biosense, but I'll focus on blood. It's the most common and beta-hydroxybutyrate has been the gold standard. So if you're testing your blood ketones, I use a a company called Keto Mojo. If you're testing your blood ketones and it shows 0.5 or above, then you are in ketosis, right? So you verify that you're in ketosis for 14 days, and then we start pairing intermittent fasting. And what does intermittent fasting look like? Do you start with like 12 hours on, 12 off and go up to 18 on or 18 off, six on, or what do you do? Yeah, I like starting with that, right? And that's a very easy thing to do. Meaning at, let's say you finish eating at 7 p.m., you go to bed, you wait until 7 a.m., 12 hours fasting, and then you build it up to, I do like an 18-6, like you just mentioned, 18 hours fasted, six hours eating with two meals in the eating window. But I, I don't recommend sticking with the same fasting schedule for an extended period of time. It's important to mix it up just like you wouldn't do the same workout over and over and over because your body will plateau. Same thing with intermittent fasting. I do like an 18-6 on most days, but not every day. There could be a day where you throw in a 24-hour fast, dinner to dinner sort of deal. There's many benefits to that. You could throw in maybe uh, days where you're not fasting, some days where you have a 20-hour fast, a 16-hour fast. But I think mixing it up, I've seen mixing it up help create results that um, and prevent plateaus. Okay. With intermittent fasting, what are some of the challenges now that people have? I mean, are they like, oh my God, I'm already doing this keto. Now you want me to not eat for a while or? What kind of reactions do you get from people and issues? Usually when people don't understand, when they don't understand how the body works, they, they hear things, maybe they read an article on, on Dr. Google or hear their friends or coworkers tell them that fasting is going to harm them. It's going to shut down their metabolism. There's a lot of myths around there. So I think it's important to just first study fasting, study how it works in the body. And I believe when you're competent, you become more confident. So that's the biggest thing. People dissuade them to thinking that it's harmful for the body. But fasting, just like keto, has been around since humans have existed. 
every single religion has some form of fasting that they practice and they teach to their followers. So it's nothing new under the sun. So I recommend, and when you do it the right way, when you're eating keto and you're in ketosis, you're going to find that you're naturally are, are going to fast. You're going to notice, oh, I don't feel like eating breakfast. I'm just going to allow my body to eat my own body fat. It's going to come naturally for you. And then once you start doing it consistently, you're going to notice how good you feel in the fasted state that nobody's going to dissuade you either way. You know, fasting has numerous benefits, but I believe it's a superpower. And if you want to be productive, if you want to burn fat, if you want to reduce inflammation, reduce your risk of disease, then practicing some variation of fasting will help you accomplish all of that and more. You know, one of my favorite benefits of fasting is the process called autophagy, which is a cellular repair and cleanup process in the body. Uh, I love that your podcast is named Finding Genius. I, I love that word genius. And I always say that, I always quote Einstein. Einstein said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. So we know that inside of the body, we have this innate intelligence, which I call the inner physician. It is an inner genius, if you will. And what happens is this innate intelligence is being blocked. There's interference. And then we develop disease and symptoms or symptoms and then disease. So what we want to do is number one, identify interference. Number two, remove interference. And then number three, allow your body to heal. So with fasting, it identifies interference, which is eating too frequently. It takes massive amounts of energy and resources and blood flow to process food. On average, it takes 14 to 18 hours just to process one meal. So if you're not fasting for 14 to 18 hours at the bare minimum, it's creating a backlog leading to inflammation in the gut, leading to leaky gut and all sorts of bad things. But when you do fast, now you're not using energy and resources for digestion and that energy and resources are being diverted to heal the body. And then we have that autophagy process. The body is so smart that when we're not eating food energy, it needs to get energy from somewhere. So we called this innate intelligence to do its job and look for damaged cells and proteins and mitochondria. And it starts to use that for fuel. It'll look at a cell and it'll observe the cell. And if that cell is not functioning well, it'll start to clean it out. And if that cell just is, has no function, it's what's called a senescent cell then it activates apoptosis to get rid of the cell altogether. All of this is happening during a fast. We're not even thinking about it. We're just crushing our day. So I love keto and then I love fasting. They go hand in hand. But what challenges do you see people have? Is it, do they have problems at the 12 hour window or is it really when they get into 16, 18? 12 hours is very easy. 16 and 18, a challenge could be uh, the two the two challenges I've seen is they are not getting enough electrolytes during the window. So they could get a headache. They could just not feel good. So making sure you're getting your water and electrolytes. And then secondly, there could be a toxicity thing going on. A lot of people who store, um, well, people who are mostly overweight have more toxins in their body because toxins are stored in fat. So what happens is during a fast, your body starts to shrink fat cells and release fat cells, which is great. But what gets released with it could be toxins. So those toxins could get dumped into the bloodstream, but the body can't burn toxins. So it ends up, you end up feeling like crap. So taking binders could help increasing your bitters. Like I mentioned earlier, during your eating window could help. So those are the two things, not enough electrolytes and maybe a toxicity issue. But what is fasting and what is not fasting? Like if I have a, you know, a noon electrolyte tablet in my water, am I still fasting? If I have a, you know, I've heard of like the fasting mimicking diet where you have olive oil or whatever. I don't know, stuff like that. But again, what can people have that they would think, well, I thought I was fasting, but you can have that. So it's a good question. 
what is fasting is the definition of fasting is to go without. So to, to maximize your fast, water, sea salt, and electrolytes, that's it. Now the electrolytes, is, they're not, it's not breaking your fast unless it has some sweeteners in it. Then it could start the digestive process and you might get a little bit less gut healing. So water, sea salt, electrolytes, that is how you maximize a fast. Now there are other variations that are called partial fast. You mentioned Walter Longo's company, Prolon. I've done some work with them. That's called a fasting mimicking diet. Their goal is to give you some food, but not to activate that a sensor called mTOR. So there's, you're still able to get autophagy during that process, but you're not getting the gut healing benefits. So there's different levels to it. You could also have some fats during a fast. You could keep your protein very low and you could still be able to get some of this autophagy, but you sacrifice some of the gut healing. If you want to get all the benefits, water, sea salt, electrolytes, that's it. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I flashed back to a story in, in uh, college. My friend was fasting and I was eating a pretzel and teasing him and I threw salt grains at him and one hit his lip. He licked his lip and he ate it. I said, ah, you broke your fast. And <laughs> then he ran after me and started to beat me up. So Actually, you helped him. Well, that makes it a bit easier that you can have, you know, electrolytes uh, and you should when you're fasting. Because, yeah, I've, I've tried it and um, I'm usually good to like the 14-hour mark, sometimes 16. But, you know, going 18 is, uh, I, just, I just don't feel very well. So I'm going to have to try that and see if that carries me through easier. It should help. Yeah, it should absolutely help. Yeah. Do you, do you ever recommend like multi-day fasts or is that just not necessary? I do recommend it. I do recommend, you know, understanding what to look for and some signs. Um, but yeah, there's many, many benefits. I've done a five-day water fast before. The reason I like it, maybe once per year, the reason I like it is because it, you get this maximum autophagy effect, which I already explained a little bit what autophagy is. There was a great researcher out there. There is a great researcher out there. His name is Dr. Thomas Seafried. He is a, an oncologist from Boston College. He wrote the book, Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. He's been quoted as saying, if you completed a seven-day water-only fast once per year, you would reduce your risk of any cancer by 95%. And, and that's because of this maximum autophagy process. He's literally seen tumors shrink before his eyes when they achieve this maximum autophagy. And you could actually, you can measure it with glucose and ketones. And what you do during your fast, uh, your block fast, which is three or more days, you take your blood glucose, divide that number by 18, write it down, and then take your blood ketones. And if you get a one-to-one ratio or higher, you're in this maximum autophagy state. So I like that. I, I love seeing the data. I love being able to do that. I do recommend that. But I also recommend maybe working with somebody who could guide you through it and knowing what you're doing and build up to that with some shorter fast. But yes, I do see the benefit of doing a block fast. Hmm, okay. So knowing all you know now and having worked with a whole bunch of people, what, what kind of tweaks or changes to the program are you making or are you going to make in the future? Yeah, focusing on, on, on other things other than keto and fasting, the fundamentals of health, you know, how our thoughts actually influence our health. It's important to really dive deep into the conscious awareness of our thoughts. Also sleep. Sleep is so important. You know, if I can't get you to sleep, I can't get keto to work for you or fasting to work for you or exercise to work for you or anything to work for you. So really building a strong foundation. I want to focus more on uh, that quality sleep, positive thoughts, affirmations, gratitude, love. I know those are not sexy topics, but once you start really mastering that, the keto, the fasting, the exercise, the supplements all upgrade. So that's an area that I'd like to dive even deeper into. I have dive, dove into it before, but I want to do more because our thoughts really do influence our health and our future. So really building a strong foundation is key for any nutritional program that you follow. 
Okay. And how can people find out about your program? Where can they go? I have an online program called the Keto Camp Academy. Uh, it is, I, I believe, the world's greatest keto and fasting program. It's a complete step-by-step system. I also offer coaching in there. So if you go to ketocampacademy.com, camp with the K, like you mentioned earlier, ketocampacademy.com, you can learn more about that program. And I'd love to teach you what I know and, and hold your hand and guide you throughout the way. Okay, very good. Well, man, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for the awesome conversation, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.